You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. The title of the message in this first portion uh, for this morning, uh, I've entitled, How Does Faith Work When You Are in a Trial? And if you're in a trial in this season, man, you've picked, a, again, a good day to be at church. You're going to be encouraged. And that's not because I'm preaching. That's because God's word is being preached. Amen. So, yeah, we're starting a brand new book of the Bible. If you've got your Bibles, go to a New Testament book called James. James. It's going to be an incredible 11 weeks. 11 weeks. You can actually read the whole book in about 30 minutes. Uh, and hey, church, uh, would you want to do something together for the next 11 weeks? I'm sure that you are going to sense what I'm about to say. Let's read it once every single week for the next 11 weeks. Can we do that? I was actually originally going to do with, like, let's do it every day because it's only half an hour on your way to work, to school. You can just, you know, pop it in. Audio works, too. Um, but let's just do it. Baby steps. We'll just do it once a week. Let's do that. For the next 11 weeks, again, 30 minutes. Can we do that? And there are actually a couple of more, a few more um, challenges throughout this sermon, so just hang in there. Because I think the more you get God's Word in you, into your life, the more God changes things in your life. And the more He changes your life, the, the, the more you live for His glory. And I believe that is the ultimate purpose for life. So being in the book of James is just absolutely incredible. So let me just read the, the section of, of that we have for today. Would you please stand with, with me as we read the first eight verses in chapter 1 in James, the book of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Amen. Father, I pray over our hearts here this morning that you would, Holy Spirit, just bear much fruit as we hear and receive your word. Would you give us teachable hearts, moldable hearts, Father? And Lord God, I pray that after this message, Lord God, that we would just walk out of this place a little bit different that we would glorify you more in our lives. Would you open our eyes to the gospel and the depth of the gospel, Father? Would you please do a work, a beautiful work in our heart this morning, in everyone's heart? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. You may be seated, church. <clears throat> now, this book is uh, written by James' brother, his kid brother, James. Jesus' brother. Did I say James? His kid brother, James. Now, if you think about it for a moment... Would it be awesome to be Jesus' brother? Would that be awesome or, or, or no? Sure. I think the answer is yes and no. <laughs> Personally, I mean, it's not a theological question, but I mean, I guess it would be. It's about God, so it would be a theological question, not an academic question, I guess. Uh, but, but I think there would be a downside to being, you know, 
uh, Jesus's brother. I mean, let me just, you know, say, you're, you, let's just say you're arguing with Jesus, right? And you're like, I disagree. <laughs> He's like, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> you know you're wrong. <laughs> and every time you, f- you fight with Jesus, it's your fault. That's just a given. Your mother and his mother, Mary, let's just say she's in the kitchen, you know, cooking dinner. Like, what's going on, boys? You know, I hear a little fight. Yeah, yeah. Jesus and I are fighting again, mom. Well, I'm busy, James. Just spank yourself. I'm sure it's your fault. That was just... <laughs> Christian joke, just go with it. But yeah, it would be frustrating. But let me just say this. Nobody knows you quite like your family. Hmm. (laughs) And it's fascinating to me because family dynamics can be quite interesting at times. (laughs) And we're all like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And here we find James worshiping his brother as his Lord, God, and Savior. It's like, wow. (laughs) Wow. And, 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 and that should tell us a lot about the authenticity of Jesus as being the Son of God. Because, I mean, growing with Jesus, you would have known every sin, every insecurity, everything, right? And that says a lot about Jesus. Furthermore, what James tells us, especially in the opening verses of this book, is that life has trials. He hits us like a ton of bricks. Life has trials, pains, problems, dangers, And just so you know where we're going today, here are the three big ideas for this sermon for today. This is where we're going today. And number one is you have to find God over your trial. you got to find God over your trial. The second thing we're going to look at, you have to find joy in your trial. you got to find joy in your trial. And the third thing, you have to find wisdom through your trial. And that's what we're going to spend our time doing together today. All right, let's jump right in with verse 1. I'm going to introduce the book as I'm going through the first eight verses as well. So don't think that I'm I'm not going to say more, you know, historical, maybe a historical context or other things that can help us understand uh, the message in the book of James. Okay, verse 1. And again, the first major point that we're going to look at is find God over your trial. And he starts the book by saying, James, a servant of God, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he calls his brother, his big brother Jesus, the Lord. I mean, how many of you would not call your brother Lord? Well, because he's not. They're not, right? But, but how many of you would not worship your brother as God? Well, first of all, he's not, but, you know. But would you, you would probably testify in court that he's Satan, but you would never worship him as God, right? Because family dynamics, again, are very, very interesting. But James knows Jesus the best. He's a devout Jewish guy. If Jesus wasn't perfect, James would tell us, trust me, he would. Because family members are quite, I mean, he, they're quick at pointing out imperfections. As I said, they're not only quick at pointing out imperfections, but it's like they make their life goal to do that, right? Like they, they just go out of their way to do that, right? If Jesus was not, in fact, the son of the living God, James wouldn't have believed that. Trust me. He would have wrote a book saying, no, 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 do not believe the Bible. It's not true. I grew up with Christ or with Jesus, right? And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, James wouldn't have followed him, to the extent that he had. This is one of the great arguments, by the way, that Jesus is God, that he was without sin and that he rose from the dead. These two major things. Again, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Okay. What he's, what he's talking about here uh, is, is 
who's sending the letter and who's receiving the letter. And I think that's very, very important. I mean, anytime there's communication, you need to understand the you know, sender and receiver to best understand what the purpose and the meaning of, of the message is. He writes to those who are dispersed. Uh, these are probably largely Jewish Christians. Okay, probably largely Jewish Christians. What, what happened here is that the government in that time, and this sounds crazy, I know, you can't even hypothetically consider this, namely, that the government in that time was bad, <laughs> right? And they made it very hard to live a good life as a believing family. Hmm. And so people were forced to move. I know you can't even hypothetically consider that, but just for a moment, just get crazy with me and, I don't know, think about Rome and, and all those places back then, right? And this is what he means by the dispersion. The believers are like, hey, we can't do faith, we can't do family, we can't do freedom, so we're going to relocate and move. But even today in our country, right, there's a lot of that going on, I think, or the beginning of something. We are experiencing a lot of dispersion, maybe to a different scale than, than back then. People that are leaving blue states, and this is a fact, and are moving to red state. That's just a fact, right? So the people are moving so that they can have faith, freedom, and family. That's the dispersion that I think he's talking about to a different scale, sure. And the person writing to these people is James. He is Jesus' little brother. Now, Joseph did not consummate his marriage with Mary until after Jesus was born, just to kind of make that clear. And then they had a normal marriage and a ton of kids. Did you know that? A big family. Maybe some of you didn't know that. We, we find this in Mark chapter 6. They, they come and they say, uh, is this not the carpenter, like the son of Mary, the brother of, of James? What's, what's he talking about? What? He's God? What, what, are, what are you talking about? And then it mentions a few other brothers, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And then they say, are, are not his sisters with him also? You know, So he's got brothers. He's got sisters. Jesus comes from a very large family. Jesus is the oldest brother. What's interesting to note is that it says in Mark chapter 3, that his family comes to him in one of the one instance when he was uh, talking to a crowd of people. And I think they, they came because they kept saying, he kept saying he was God. And they're like, Jesus, are, are you sure about this? Let's, let's take you home, <laughs> you know. And, and they said, please get us Jesus. We need to take him home. And I think that's what they were kind of alluding to. Because sometimes the people who are closest to you, family members, don't have the best perspective of you. Additionally, it says in John 7, 5, that even his brothers did not believe in him. And that would probably include James as well. But the good news, the good news is that though James' relationship with Jesus started poorly, it ended well. And that's my prayer for all of us here today. And all of us that are not, that are not here that are probably going to listen to this. You may have heard about Jesus, right? And you may have not fully received him yet as God, Lord, Savior, and King, kind of like his family. But that's why we're here. That's why you're here. This is part of your journey, coming to understand who Jesus is and to trust in what Jesus does. It's so interesting that everything changes in James' life when Jesus rose from the dead. Everything changes. James is there at the cross. He is seeing his brother die. He goes to the funeral. I'm sure he sheds a few tears. He enters into the, to a grief process. And then three days later, Jesus returns. 
I'm, I'm back. I mean, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that Jesus appeared to James also. Imagine that conversation. I mean, I hope the first thing that James said was, sorry. I mean, he didn't believe that Jesus was God. That's not how he started. Or that he, he would rise from the dead, right? As soon as he rose, Jesus rose from the dead, James knew this was God. This is God. Because only God forgives sin. Only God defeats death. No one else in the universe can do that unless you are God. When we, we then read in Acts chapter 1 that the first Christians all get together after you know, the resurrection of Jesus. That includes Mary, Jesus' mother. And it says Jesus' brothers are there. James is there also. By Galatians 1 and 2, James becomes a leader in the early church. Well, figure. And Paul says, when I was commissioned by God into ministry, I needed to go meet the senior leaders. And he says, I met with Peter, which was the leader of the disciples, and I met with John, Jesus' best friend, and then I met with James, his brother. Wow. The point is that he started by having a shaky and weak faith in Jesus. He ended by having a solid faith in Christ. And that's my prayer for all of us today. If we began or if you began begun by a shaky faith in Christ, that you would end by a mature and solid faith in Christ. If your relationship with Jesus started poorly or is poorly, I'm praying that by God's grace like James, it can end very, very solid and well. Now, just for a moment, consider for a moment what James could have said regarding himself. It's like, yeah, my family's a big deal, you know? <sighs> I mean, come on. I got Jesus as my brother. I got Jude. I got all. I, my mother's Mary and Joseph. Have you heard about them? You know what I mean? But no, he says instead, James, a what? A servant. Hmm. Hmm. He doesn't do any, any, any you know, boasting any old look at me he doesn't flex or name drop he doesn't do that instead what he says is my name is james i'm a servant who can i share something with you a little bit of my heart i am so annoyed this is one of my pet peeves when i meet people for the first time and the first thing they say hi my name is pastor doctor whatever it just rubs me the wrong way and not only that but they just start with you know their title and then their resume and i've accomplished this and i've done this I'm like ready to walk away, like, see you later, as they're talking, right? That's, that's what's going on in my heart. If you start with that, I can really see what's in your heart. And, and you make me not be interested in what you've accomplished at all, you know? But what James has come to conclude is that Jesus is humble and he came to serve us, right? That's, that's what he, he's, you know, wow, this is, this is my big brother, our Savior. Therefore, having the same attitude in spirit of humility... Serving others on behalf of Christ is the highest and noblest calling. What if we would lead with, hey, just say your name. <laughs> I think it'd be uh, so much better. Anyways, furthermore, some other things about James. Church history does give James some pretty good nicknames. Whew, love it. He is called James the Just by some early theologians. I wonder why. That means that he was a really good guy with high, high character. Someone who would do and say what's right and what's godly, meaning he had integrity. Ooh, do we ever 
miss that today or that's maybe not the virtue of our culture today. In addition, they call, they call them camel knees, camel knees. It is said that James prayed so much on his knees that he was showing it in his body. Poof. He had some knee problems. He walked with a bit of a limp. And, and the question is, why? <laughs> Maybe even in asking this question shows the unbiblical posture of our hearts. Because today we can, and I include myself in here, today we can barely pray. And when we do, we can't even do it for five minutes, you know, sitting with our bums in a cushiony seat, <laughs> let alone on our knees. So why would James pray so much and why would he pray on his knees? Because of this other thing called reverence that's kind of lost on us a virtue that's kind of lost on us and then because he understood the power of prayer he understood that the prayer is the engine behind the christian living the power of communicating to god in prayer he was praying so much to his brother who is in heaven that his knees looked like a camel's knees now this family is extraordinary. We said that. In addition to Mary and Joseph, there's James, and, and, and there's another brother. I think I may have mentioned Jude, who also wrote a book in the New Testament. Like this family is just loaded, <laughs> right? I would say that Mary and Joseph did great. <laughs> you had two sons that wrote books in the Bible. You had one that was God. That's a great family. Good job, Mary. We're gonna let you teach the how to be a mom class at our church. Now, what's amazing is, wouldn't it be incredible? To be part of this family. Yeah. Because you kind of take a look at, it doesn't take too much, to look at your family and my family, like, <laughs> you know? But, but here's the good news. You are. We are. James is going to tell us in just the next verse, verse 2, indirectly, that if you believe in Jesus, Jesus calls you, James calls you brother brother. Additionally, Jesus says in Mark 3.35, anyone who does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. There you go. There you have it. The point of this is if you belong to God, if you've given your life to God, if you've been adopted into the family of God, then Jesus Christ is your big brother, and James is your brother, and you are a part of God's family, and that means that God is part of your family. And James is setting up here, he is reminding us of who God is, of who God is. And he says, a servant of God, and he says, and of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't just say Jesus Christ. He says the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's just beautiful. And what he's saying is over our life in human history and the trials and the troubles and the tribulations that we face, there is the Lord Jesus Christ, his brother, over all of that over your heart, over your trials, and over your church, over your family, the Lord, meaning he is in control. He's sovereign. He's guarding. He's Lord. So the first thing that he is telling us indirectly is you need to find God over your trial, this Lord that is over all, because he is Lord over your trial. He is our Lord. So that means that, that, means that, that the question is, do you believe it? That, that's the question, right? Do, do you believe that he is the Lord over your heart, over your life, and over your trial, right? So the first thing, again, indirectly is he is Lord over 
our trials. And this is one thing that we need to wrestle with. I mean, do, do we actually believe that Jesus is our Lord and, and, and do we act like it? Especially when we go through trials, do you act like he is your Lord, that he is over your trial and over your heart as well? Meaning, again, he's sovereign, the sovereign God of the universe, and he is in full control of what's happening in your life, and he, is, and he is protecting you and guarding you and loving you and caring for you. And then the next big idea is this, you have to find joy in your trial, and this is the point that I'm going to spend most time on. You have to find joy in your trial. Let's continue with verses 2 and 3. And he starts with a, a, I don't know what to call this, a crazy statement. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. What? When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Just in case you didn't notice, we live in a broken and a crooked and a flawed world. And sometimes trials come up literally from the culture of hell. It's demonic, it's evil, it's wrong, it's devastating. And by the way, Jesus, James says, when trials come, not if. Did you catch that? When trials come, not if. Because this is a guarantee. And this word trials that James is using, this word trials in, in, in the original language, not to nerd out on you too much, but I kind of like this stuff, is a very complex world, a word. It is very complex. You know why? Because trials are complex. It's a bit of a confusing word because sometimes our trials are confusing. Because it is a multifaceted word because trials have multiple kinds of troubles within them. Even James says various kinds of trouble, of trials. In some translations, looking at this word trials, it's translated with trouble or difficulty. Trouble or difficulty. And sometimes that's how we experience trials in life. It's troublesome. It causes anxiety, uh, worry, and I'm scared, and I'm hurting, and I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm in danger. So sometimes we experience trials in our life as trouble or difficulty. At the same time, it is very important to note that some other translations will translate this word trials with the word temptations. Temptations. And, and this is... I think a two, is the two sides of the same coin. Something happens when you and I decide whether it is a trial through difficulty or a trial through temptation based on our attitude and how we respond to that trial. If we side with Satan, you'll turn it into a temptation. You'll excuse sin. You'll rebel against God. You will give into that which is, you know, uh, concerning or tempting to you, but if you yield and submit to the Holy Spirit, when that trial comes, it'll be a what? A test for you, he says. And by the way, some other translations will use the language of test when referring to trials. I know it's complex, but we said it is. And so the test is something that you take so that you can graduate. He kind of says that, right? He, we've all been in school, right? In school, you're like, okay, it's a test, and if I pass my test, I graduate. That's what he's kind of alluding to. And life is a classroom that's always in session, and every season has its tests. And if you pass the test, you can graduate to the next level of maturity. And that's what James is saying. Now, the good news is that even if you fail your test, does our God let you retake that test? He does. 
He's very gracious. Just because you failed your test in the past, it doesn't mean that God is done with you. You get to take it again until you pass and graduate. So for a moment, let's just think about trials, troubles, difficulties, temptations, and tests. What are we dealing with today? Let's just kind of be honest. What are we dealing with today? Every person is dealing constantly with trials, be they big or small. And what's difficult in our day is that we have more trials than ever. Does anyone feel like that? Because in the day that James wrote the book, the world wasn't as interconnected as it is today. It was not. You didn't have global problems back in the day. They lived in their village. They had no internet. You wouldn't know what's going on in Wuhan, and you wouldn't care, right? We have, now we have multinational companies, and we have trade between nations, and we have travel, which changed everything, and all of a sudden, you can have global problems. Oh, you can have global trials. Interesting. In addition, you can have national problems, which before, that was not a thing. You know, you'd hear about what's going on in the other part of the country, like, Five months after, like, oh, okay. True or false, we potentially have at least one national problem at every given point. True or false? And I don't care which political spectrum you're on, you're like, I can agree with that. (laughs) I can certainly agree with that. In addition, we have local problems. We have state problems. We have regional problems. And we haven't even touched our own problems, right? And we're all aware of it because we're on the internet. We get the news from so many different outlets and we're like, oh my goodness. In addition to all the problems beyond us, there are people that we love that have their own problems. Hold on, we're not even talking about our own problems yet. And you're participating in their trials because of your affection and love for them. Is anyone just like already anxious, just me saying that? In addition to global, national, regional, local, and problems of those that we love, we've got our own problems, trials, tribulations, pains, perils, dangers. How many of you right now, it's financial? Things are difficult. Inflation is up. You can't even even pay your bills anymore. You're not making enough. How many of you right now, it's spiritual? You know that God loves you, but you just don't sense it. You haven't sensed it for the last few months. It says that God, God says that he's near you, but you, don't, you just haven't sensed it in a while. What's going on? How many of you right now, your struggle, your, your trial is relational? There are people that you know and you love that are close to you, but it feels distant. It's fractured. It's complicated. It's conflicted. And you love them, but somehow it's hard to do life with them. How many of you right now, it's emotional. You're just anxious all the time. You're tired. You're worn out. How many of you, it's mental? Like, I don't know how much of this I can handle anymore. I've sort of hit the limit of humanity. You know what's really interesting? What happens is sometimes our trials come so sequentially close together that counselors will call it complex grief. Complex grief is like an avalanche for your soul. One thing happens, then another thing happens, and another thing happens, and another thing happens. So the idea is that you don't even have time to process any of it because you're so overwhelmed by all of it. We now call this America. It's why we're seeing record mental health problems. There's a guy in the Bible named Job. You may have heard of this guy. He experiences complex grief 
with trial after trial after trial and no opportunity to process one before he's hit with the next. Before one courier, you know, is even done with the horrible bad news, you know, there's another courier at the end of his driveway with a frantic look, oh my goodness, what's wrong now? Well, your business just burnt down. Oh, your kids just died. Oh, you're, are you kidding me? What happens in complex grief, and, are, and you are so overwhelmed by everything that you just do not have the time or energy to process or heal or recover from any of it. Now, what happens is sometimes we think it's just a bad season. We'll say, oh, I'll just wait it out. Because I know it's coming, hopefully soon, the other side. Remember the 14 days to flatten the curve? Barely. <laughs> Barely. And what's happening in our day is this. This word, trial, is the perfect word to describe the mood that any functioning, sane human being is feeling. I guarantee you we have this in common. And not just us here. Globally. And the question is, how are we going to find joy in our lives then? And James goes, oh, count it all joy. What? Are you kidding me? Are you out of your mind? What are you saying? Because a cheerless and joyless Christianity is bad advertisement for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the party that never ends in the kingdom of God. May I add, we ought to get acclimated to that party in heaven to some extent here and now. Joy. Hmm. You have joy in your life. And so what he's talking about here is finding joy in your trial. Now, now let me just talk to you about our trials because the trial itself may not be a gift. So you can be joyous about, right? I mean, you know, I don't know if anyone is like, oh, well, maybe there's some evil people out there. My parents just died. Oh, let's just party, right? Or something like that, right? No, no, you would grieve. It's, that's why it's called a trial, Right? A trial is called a trial because it, it doesn't produce joy necessarily naturally. It produces grief and tears and brokenness, right? But I think maybe James is alluding to this, and we're going to unpack this. It could be used by God as a blessing to you, maybe. Is that what you mean, James? If you receive it and use it in a way that honors God. Is he saying that? So let's step back for a second and look at a few things that trials can do to us, and maybe we'll... We can understand this joy element or command that James talks about a little bit better. Just four things. I, this, this, I could have, we could have had like 20 points here. What trials can do to us, but I'll just pick four. So number one, trials, they strip away other objects of faith that, we've tr that we're trusting in. Huh? I mean, sometimes you don't even know I was leaning on my parents and their faith and, and until they passed away. And I didn't know that I just trusted in my health until I was sick. And then, oh, what's going on? I didn't know that I had a bunch of money in the bank and I was sleeping so good at night. And all of a sudden, when I have less money, I'm not sleeping. I'm anxious and worried and tired. And what's going on? What happens when trials come, the people and the things that we have our faith in are shaken and or removed. And it reveals to us that truly only God can be unshaken and unmoved. Number two, trials, in seasons of trials, it reveals our true selves. It reveals who you are. It reveals who I am. 
pressure doesn't change us, or at least I don't think the way I see the Bible. Pressure doesn't change us. It reveals who we are. It reveals, and you have a choice. And then you have a choice to change by the help of the Holy Spirit or to remain the same. It's our choice. This is where I'm a bit Armenian more than Calvinistic at this point, but I'm both. Like, anyways, I don't know why I said that. Let's continue with the sermon. But the reality is that under pressure, we are kind of shocked at who we really are. Like, oh my goodness, I'm such an angry person. I didn't know. Well, it was always there. I just never had the opportunity to just explode like that. I'm very fearful. I'm a very immoral person. I'm a very selfish person. It's, it's, is this who I really am? Lord, this is a hard revelation, but it's one that can be changed, and that's the point. And that's the whole point of it. So then, Lord, and this should be our prayer, clean, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That should be our prayer in that instance. Number three, trials remind us that something has gone terribly wrong with our planet, and somebody, somebody needs to fix it. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this, but more than any time in world history, we realize that the whole planet is cursed as cursed can be. There's, there's nowhere you can go that doesn't have the curse and the fall and the brokenness and death. I'm going to move to Florida because it's so beautiful there. No, no, no. That, pro, that place is broken too. Trust me. They may have some nice beaches, but sure. You know, you can be broken with a nice beach if you want, I guess. So, so. It's everywhere. It's just all-consuming. It doesn't matter how many wars we wage, how many prescriptions we write, how many elections we have, or how many stimulus checks we send. It's still broken and flawed, and everybody's frustrated. What is wrong? Well, we have a God-sized problem. And so the hope of the believer is this. This, and praise God, this is as close to hell as we ever get. Amen. Jesus is coming, church. He is going to lift the curse fully. He is going to raise the dead. He is going to heal the sick completely. We won't have any more elections. We won't have any more vaccinations. We can travel freely without a mask, and it's going to be a great forever. But ultimately, our planet has a God-sized problem. And until Jesus returns, we're still in the middle of the mess that we've created. That's just the reality. And number four, trials reveal to us who and what really matters. Who and what really matters. Sometimes there are just there are things or experiences or, or possessions or, or pos positions that we treasure until a trial comes. I don't know, just, this is little, but it was big then. A few months ago, our little guy just fell off the bed and head straight on the hardwood. It was a pretty high, you know, height and... Uh, Emma calls me. I was here at church, and, and uh, she was panicking. The little guy was not breathing, and, and I'm panicking now, and I'm driving like 200 miles an hour. <laughs> probably got there in five seconds. And before that moment, I had like probably 20 things in my mind. I was thinking about this for church and anxious about this, and in a matter of a second, everything melted away. Boom, gone. And all I could focus on was my baby son. Like, Lord... Lord, you got to do something, right? So in, that, in a moment, in a matter of a second, everything is gone. No more one focus. That's it. It's kind of like, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm about to watch my, I can't believe I can't watch my show on Netflix anymore. But 
oh, oh no, my, my kid just called. I just got into a car crash. And it changes in a matter of a second. Right? Because trials reveal to us who and what really matters. So we listed all these kinds of trials to say this. All of these kinds of trials could be used of God as a gift. If, if you choose that. And so what a trial is, he calls it here a test. And he's very clear about it. It's a test. James says, the testing of your faith. Your trial is a testing, the testing of your faith. Now, when we take a test, you could, you could, you could fail the test. You could flunk it. Or, or you could pass it. There are many ways that we fail a test. Many ways. And I don't want to spend too much time on that. Because we're all aware of failing tests. But maybe just one. One way we could really blow it. The one way we could fail the test is by being a rebel. A rebel is one who, you know, when, the, when we're under hardship, you feel the pain, you feel, you know, I've, you know what, I've earned a little bit of, of me time. My, my wife wasn't nice to me, so I'm just going to cheat. My, my kids, you know, weren't nice to me, so I, I yelled and I avoided them. My God doesn't come through to me, so I'm just going just gonna to walk away for, just for a few months, and I'm just not going to read, I'm not going to pray anymore. And the reality is that rebelling against God does not help anything it will destroy your life even more you're running away from the very being that loves you most that could fix your problems so so we can give many examples of ways and ways that we could fail the test but 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 the way james puts it it seems to me that there's only one way to pass the test i was blown away this week by this i saw it in a different light and i was just like Ooh, I even told them, oh, babe, babe, you got you to gotta hear this. This is just so absolutely amazing. There's one way to pass the test by James, by what he says. And I think James gives it to us, but it's not as clear at first. What he's talking about here is your trial is coming, and that is your test. And what he's saying is, I want you to pass this test so you can graduate to the next level of maturity. And that's God's will, too. And here's what he says that I think needs some digging. The only way to graduate, you ready for this, is to learn to rejoice. What? That's it? Yeah, it's actually fascinating. The world knows nothing of this because the world doesn't know God. There's a little line in the Bible that will change your life if you will receive it, embrace it, and apply it. And it goes like this. Rejoice in the Lord. The reason that the world cannot rejoice is because they don't know or have the Lord. What James is saying here, the trial is out there, but there can still be joy in here as you go through the trial. It may not change your circumstances, but it, it changes you as you go through your circumstances. And by the way, this is not a denial of reality. But it is the awareness of the presence of God in your life as a greater reality it doesn't deny what's happening out there but it has faith that the holy spirit is in here and the fruit of the spirit includes what joy absolutely fascinating verse out of nehemiah that just again blew my mind this week and it says that the joy of the lord is your what your strength like what are you it's like I've never seen that verse before in my life. The joy of the Lord is 
your strength. The reason he's going to set, James, he's going to set before us this pursuit of joy is because your body needs air. Did you know that? Your body needs water. It needs food. In the same way, your soul needs joy, especially to survive a trial. That's why people are experiencing epidemic mental health problems. They are self-medicating. They are self-destructing. They are raging. They are sleepless. They are traumatized. And the question is, who or what will fix it? Well, you can only rejoice in the Lord. And once you learn to rejoice in the Lord, the joy of the Lord apparently, apparently is your strength. It strengthens you apparently to deal with reality and your trials somehow. Let me, let me get a little deeper and see why joy is so important. Did you know that one key sign of spiritual danger is losing your joy? Whew. Let's not skim past the, you know, what Paul says at the end of Philippians 3.1, and he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is what? Is safe for you. Paul reminds us to rejoice because it is safe. Why? Did you know that joy is one of the vital gauges on the dashboard of your Christian life? When that needle drops, meaning when your joy drops, right, you should be scared, I think, and, and, and do all that you can to find joy, to fight for joy. And if you want to stay safe, in Paul's words, you need to pay attention to your joy levels. Let me give you an illustration that I think will help. It helped me. Coal miners, coal miners. Know that dangerous gases can gather silently and secretly in the tunnels. And carbon monoxide will asphyxiate them. And at the same time, methane explodes as well. So just a lot of dangers. A methane explosion took the lives of, I think, 12 men in 06 in West Virginia. In 1906, almost 1,100 miners were killed in France in one of the most massive chain of explosions. But in the early days of coal mining, they found an effective and low-tech solution. Do you know what they did? Yeah, they, they brought canaries into the mines, and, and the canary's metabolism is very sensitive to air quality. So as long as the bright yellow birds sing, miners know the air is safe. If gas levels rise, the canaries just stop singing, they start wobbling, and eventually they fall to the floor of the cage. In the same way, Christian joy... Is like that singing. One of the first effects of sin or doctrinal error in your life, or, or, or that something is off, majorly off in your heart, is that we lose our joy in Christ. When your heart stops singing, that is a warning to watch your life and watch your heart closely. Did you know that Jesus himself connected our, our daily spiritual life with joy? He says in John 15, 10, 11, if you keep my commandments, what? You will abide in my love. And then he says, these things I have spoken to you, that what? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And all these verses of joy, right? 
Church, here's the big point. If your soul is satisfied in Christ, you will rejoice in Christ. Take your eyes off of Christ and you'll lose your joy. Christian joy is a barometer of your spiritual life. Don't confuse this unique joy with other positive and optimistic feelings. Genuine Christian joy, the kind that James talks about, is not the power of positive thinking. It's not. It's not this bubbly, optimistic personality. Joy is not being happy because life is going my way. That's the whole point of what James talks about in this trial context. The joy that we can have in Jesus cannot be extinguished by the circumstances of life. And this is what James was getting at. That's why to pass the test, of the trial joy is the very key to get there to get to that maturity because you just quote unquote you just don't care anymore because Jesus is your ultimate treasure and satisfaction and if you have him you have everything joy is an, the emotion of salvation it is the joy of seeing knowing loving and trusting Jesus Christ and we cannot generate, church, this true joy ourselves because it is the product of what? Of the Holy Spirit in us. Galatians 5, right? Joy is a glorious gladness and deep delight in the person of Jesus Christ. How are you doing with joy? This joy that we are talking about is a God-given joy, and it's, it's greater, church. It's stronger than any trouble that comes our way. And, and as, the, as prophet Habakkuk says in, in chapter 3, verses 7 and 10, and I love this passage, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The reality is that a joyful believer is already more than satisfied in Christ. What more could he possibly want? The Lord, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So church, let's make it a point to be satisfied in Christ so that we rejoice in the Lord. And therefore, we will find safety and strength in our trials and our fight against temptation. So here's an assignment that we can all partake in. Find joy this week. Just find joy this week. In addition to reading the book once a week, as we said earlier, I want us to take an additional 15 minutes a day. Can we do that? It's not, it's not much. 15 minutes a day. Preferably at the beginning of the day. And turn, begin by turning off your phone. Just turn it off. And start thanking God for specific things in your life. This would be an exercise to kind of jumpstart, you know, joy in your heart. This may not drastically change our lives, no, but through it, the Holy Spirit will bear the fruit of joy. And if we continue in this discipline, joy will grow in your heart. And then when trials come, your soul will be strong in the Lord so that you can endure the trial. So number one, you need to have God over your trial. Number two, you need to have joy in your trial. And number three, you need to have wisdom to get through your trial. And don't worry, I'm not going to spend that much time on this third one. I'm just going to walk through it pretty quickly. Let's continue with verses four to eight. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just for a second, let's stop here. What James is talking about here is when God is done with you, there's a perfect version of you, and your trials are part of the process to get you toward that perfect version of you. So James is not talking about perfection as in, hey, look at me, I'm amazing, I'm not sinning anymore, I'm perfect. That will not happen in this life. But what he had in mind is a full-grown man, spiritually speaking, and not a child anymore. A full-grown man, spiritually speaking, and not a child anymore. That's what he had in mind. Let's continue with verse 5. I just wanted to get that out of the way. If, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and you will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like, a, it's like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's so many situations in life, and we're like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do, right? I, I just don't know what to do. Here's what James says. If you, any of you lacks wisdom, let him, what? Ask God. Oh, would you look at that? There's God over it. God is over it, and God gives joy in it, and then God gives wisdom through it. Oh my, that's amazing. Here's a nugget of wisdom. As things get darker, friend, we're going to need to go deeper. As you have more problems, you need to pray more. When you, when you don't know what to do, God should not be the last person you talk to. He must be the first he says, ask who God who gives generously without reproach. The reason sometimes we don't ask people for things is that we know they're not generous. We just know, oh, I'm not going to ask him for sure. But God is. Your father is generous, it says here. You have a generous father. And it says here, but let him ask in faith. Here's what he's saying. When trials come and you haven't been there before, and you, and you feel like your world is just falling apart, you're going to need God to take your hand like a child and walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. And this requires wisdom. Let me just, let me juxtapose knowledge and wisdom for you for a second for us. Because wisdom is not knowledge and knowledge is not wisdom. And many people confuse these two. And here's why. Our world has way too much knowledge and way too little wisdom. Okay. The amount of knowledge or information on planet Earth is doubling, and I forgot exactly how fast now. But there's an abundance of knowledge and a lack, a shortage of wisdom, that's for sure. You can go to college and get a lot of knowledge, but be a fool and be evil. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Again, let me just share a little list for you. Knowledge is knowing the truth. Wisdom is knowing what to do with it. Okay? Knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. Knowledge fills libraries. Wisdom fills lives. Knowledge provides information. Wisdom provides transformation. Knowledge tells you what to believe. Wisdom tells you how to behave. And knowledge finds the problem, but wisdom finds the solution. We may be getting a little bit, you know, to understand more of what wisdom is. Well, let me ask you this. Are you pursuing knowledge or wisdom? Which one are you pursuing? Let me just say this. This is who. Sometimes the greatest obstacle to wisdom is the avalanche of knowledge. Too much. Stop reading. <laughs> In a way. So much fake news, 
so much narrative making, lies, and sometimes just useless information. Let me tell you this. The two emotions that drive the internet and cause you to be addicted to your phone are anger and fear. Are anger and fear. No one, no one will find that their phone is the source of their joy. No one. No one. Ultimately, the misusing your phone or overusing your phone will cause you to be angry and fearful. And it will cause you to be emotionally triggered by angering and fearful information, which is often misinformation. And then to emotionally respond and send it to someone else to trigger them for clickbait and ad revenue and platform building. And it's emotional abuse and it does not cause joy. That's the world we live in. But, 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 we rejoice in the Lord, don't we? And we find the Lord over it and we find joy in it and we find wisdom through it, right? Here's another analogy. If you want to go for a swim, I would strongly recommend the pool and not the septic tank. Right? When you start your day on the phone, most of the time it's like starting your day by swimming in the septic tank. If you open the word of God and start in prayer, you're starting your day in the pool. It's refreshing. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> Listen, church. I simply put, I want us to be healthy. I want us to be holy. I want us to be hopeful. And I want us to be joyful. And you just can't, if you start your day with swimming in a septic tank every single day. You just can't. I want us to be in the spirit. I don't want us to be in the flesh. So we need to be in, in, in the word. We need to be in the truth. And I'm going to encourage you to read again James every week. You can do it for 30 minutes. We can do it together. We're going to spend 11 weeks together. Also, I'm going to challenge you to spend at least 15 minutes a day to start your day thanking God for all the things that he's done for you. And God will use it to transform your life and your mindset. And again, it may not change what happens out there, but God will use his word to change who you are in here. I'm going to skip a few pages, actually. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. How's your time in God's Word? And how's your time with God's Word in you? Did you know that that is the first gift from the Holy Spirit? Because joy comes from the Holy Spirit. Is give him his, it is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And then wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit again. It's the spirit of wisdom. And he gives us beautiful platforms where we can just um, feed ourselves from. And the first one is God's word. So I'm asking you, how's your time in God's word? Secondly, it's prayer. James, uh, James says, ask God. So not only that we find, you know, we find wisdom in, in God's word, but, but we have to pray, right? That's what he's saying. You're going to need to ask God some things and then listen for him to tell you what to do. In the same way that a child goes to a parent and says, hey, daddy, I need help. And lastly, so God's word, prayer, and lastly, God gives wisdom through wise counsel. There are people that know scriptures, people that spend a lot of time in prayer, and they're filled with the Spirit. Seek wisdom from these people. That's what James is actually doing for us here. 
He's serving as wise counsel. In a moment, we're going to rejoice through song because our God is faithful. And because he suffered, because he loved us so much that he chose to go through it with us, to identify with us, so to die for us, to rise for us, to go into his kingdom, to prepare a place for us, to send the spirit to comfort and lead and guide us, to, to, get us, to, to give us his word, to give us his spirit, to give us his people, to give us his peace, to give us his hope, to lift our burdens to guarantee our eternity, to give us a reason to rejoice in our Lord, whose name is Jesus Christ. He's been so faithful. He's been so faithful. And he will be till the day when he returns and we resurrect from the dead. And our tears will be no more. Our trials will be no more. Our problems will be no more because our God returns to reclaim everyone and everything that belongs to him as creator. I had so much more. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Can we, can we go on a quest this week, starting this week, and, and seek this joy that apparently is for us? Apparently it's given to us as a gift. We have to ask, though. And, and then at the same time, wisdom. Let's seek wisdom. Again, James is really inviting us to ask God and he gives freely without reproach. But the question is, do, do we actually do it? Do we ask? Like a, a kid asks his father, let's do that. Let's really do that. And again, the challenge for this week and for the next, I don't know, 11 weeks, and I hope that we can kind of continue this, not just the 11 weeks that we're in James, that we would read the book. 30 minutes a week, that's it, just once a week, and then let's spend that 15 minutes a day. Let's start our day right. And just, let's just thank God for all the things that he's done, for who he is, and focus on that, not on your problems, not on your trials, but on him, on him. And may God do an amazing work in our hearts, because I know that we all struggle in this area. Trials, they can really, they can really just tear a path of destruction in our lives. I know because I'm a professional human being, just like you are, All right? Uh, would you stand with me? And I'd like to pray as we're going to um, rejoice through song again. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.